Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm Jake Burns, and joining me today is Amin Kazaruni, Head of AI and ML Research and Platform Teams at Zappos. It was great hearing how Amin is championing a machine learning culture and continuing to upskill and motivate employees during these challenging times. So Amin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and your role at Zappos? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Amin Kazruni. I am the head of what we call our AI and ML research and platform teams. Uh, the team at Zappos is lovingly referred to as the machine intelligence organization. Uh, the team's made up of search relevancy, the search algorithm, personalization strategy, uh, profit intelligence for uh, understanding uh, the machine learning contributions to the financial models. Uh, demand forecasting, supply chain, the gamut of where we can get involved. It's uh, It also incorporates the kind of platforms on which these solutions are hosted and exposed and democratized to other parts of the org. So uh, it's kind of centralized infrastructure, decentralized embedding of machine learning solutions across the Zappos ecosystem. And it's a lot of fun and I can't complain. Yeah, it sounds like fun. So um, maybe we could start off, you could tell us just about some examples of machine learning that exists kind of in our everyday lives. And then we can go into kind of what you're doing more specifically at Zappos. Absolutely. I mean, machine learning is becoming more and more ubiquitous. And I, you know, I love being asked that question because when you hear about machine learning, artificial intelligence, your mind goes to, you know, what made sense to make movies about, which is robots and destruction. But, uh, <laughs> well, let's definitely get into that later. Yeah, because nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to watch a movie about a well-refined search algorithm. So, uh, but the reality of it is machine learning plays a subtle role in anything and everything you can think of, right? From how simple pieces of hardware are optimized to when you look for images in whatever photo library to use, whatever mapping solution you use to get places, train schedules, you know, pilots are leveraging machine learning in the way they fly aircrafts. It's it's everywhere. It's subtle. It's helping with tiny pieces of decision-making that augment the ability of a human in the loop to be able to achieve things more efficiently. And that's basically mm-hmm. machine learning. And what about the robots? You know, we don't talk about them. They gave us instructions. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you share uh, some of your core elements of your strategy at Zappos and how you're approaching machine learning there? Absolutely. Uh, the machine learning strategy at Zappos has always been very straightforward. We build uh, experiences, not algorithms. So we're not a research team. We're not an R&D shop. We're a group of people with a certain set of functional skills just as accountable as the next team to realize an ROI. And the reason I stress that is we're not doing self-driving. We're not doing anything moonshot. We've got a few research projects, but the predominant goal is to democratize insight and findings so that it can be used in different parts of the organization. So anything we build is modular, reusable, directly ties to a specific customer experience, a specific elevation of our digital experience or a specific efficiency gain in our operations. So whether that's a better search algorithm or it's a better forecast for what we buy for next winter season, it plays a tangible role in the in Zappos' strategy. Um, are there any good examples that you could share with us of, of how you're using it? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the core examples that I love using is uh, Zappos is a retailer. We sell shoes, clothing, apparel online. A big pain point when shopping for shoes online is, is it going to fit right? You know, it's a, it's a trust that we have to build with the customer. We've solved for that with 365 day free returns, made the process as seamless as possible. So you are comfortable sending it back, right? That's what we were solving for. That you are confident that if it doesn't fit, you can get it back to us. So where my team came in is, can we get it to where you don't need to send it back? So Zappos maintains a suite of machine learning algorithms running in production that learns as much as it can about a customer's fit and feel preferences and also each product sizing details and how various customers have shopped those products in the past. And we actually make a prediction for every customer in almost every shoe that we sell. And uh, we've seen non-trivial reductions to our sizing related return rate where you know, fewer customers are sending things back and swapping it out with the same product in a different size. And we love that because that makes the shopping experience less painful. It We're obsessed with our customer. It's obviously better for them. And it's cool to see machine learning injected into that shopping pipeline so seamlessly. Right, right. No, that's great because, you know, when you first started talking about it, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a good way to kind of uh, uh, reduce your operating costs and all of that. But actually, you're increasing the customer's uh, experience and improving the customer's experience with this because they no longer have to go through that process of returning. They can have confidence that they're going to get the right size. Absolutely. And I, I like equating it to a game of Where's Waldo. If you're playing Where's Waldo on our 50 foot by 50 foot board, it's not fun. It's overwhelming. And you're like, I don't want to search for Waldo in that. But like what my team does is behind the scenes draws a smaller box around where we know Waldo. Waldo is. So you still enjoy shopping. You still enjoy searching, but it's not overwhelming. It's just, uh, hey, let us help you around. Let us help you along. But we're not like also throwing a big arrow pointing at Waldo either, because that's no fun, you know? So it's <laughs> it's it's a balancing act. Yeah, no, I could see that. So um, I understand that the machine learning team at Zappos is relatively new. How have you worked to uh, lead your organization through the change? So the, the machine learning team at Zappos is, you know, some people would consider it very old and some people would consider it very new. And that's just because how the field is. People have been either doing it for a very long time or people are just starting right now. Uh, relative to a lot of companies, I'd say we're, we're like four or five years young in our machine learning efforts. I, I love that I've been here since the very start. I helped start the machine learning organization at Zappos. So it's been an amazing evolution to, to watch. Uh, the biggest lessons I think in leading that organization was we very early on stopped trying to hire unicorns, stopped trying to hire software engineers who were good statisticians, who were good mathematicians, who could also juggle 10 balls at one time and had been at a circus at some point in their life. And that's what it feels like when you're trying to hire these like unicorn data scientists. We just hired people who were very good at what they do but open-minded enough to learn the other parts of the job function. So my machine learning scientist is not a production grade software engineer, but my software engineers and my machine learning scientists know how to talk to each other. Mm. And uh, I think that was a very, very early lesson when we grew the team that allowed us to create product-centric teams that deliver on experiences. And, uh, you know, we learned early on that getting buy-in from the business, not letting machine learning and artificial intelligence turn into this black box that nobody understood, but making it approachable, making it something that you kind of knew what was going on and trusted the team to execute on the implementation details became critical for downstream adoption of the services that we were providing. Right. 
Yeah. So that's, that's interesting because I actually just recently had a conversation uh, with some of my colleagues about this, you know, and it sounds like a great approach, not trying to find that unicorn, which is, you know, that's a lot of effort and it may not work out, but rather kind of focusing on uh, getting good people and then getting them trained uh, in what they need to know to be effective. I'm curious to hear kind of how you uh, have accomplished that and what your, your approach was uh, specifically to training and upskilling. So at Zappos, we generally have a culture of really encouraging growing people within the organization. Uh, we have a fantastic customer loyalty team that is probably the backbone of our customer experience. Or probably they are the backbone of our customer experience. And any Zappos customer will tell you how amazing it is to call in and talk to our CLT team over the phones. Right. But those those people and those customer loyalty teams understand our experience so well. They understand our customers so well that if you can teach them the functional technical skills, the product acumen, business acumen they bring to the table is just so tremendously valuable. Uh, in fact, one of the machine learning scientists on our team today went from the call center to a business analytics uh, intern role and is now a data scientist in our org building neural networks for that sizing algorithm I spoke about. And it's it's such an amazing journey to watch. That being said, it's not all upskilling. We have recruited externally and it's, it's, a, it's a balance of recruiting people externally that bring uh, the ability to mentor and instill skills on the team, but also getting the right people internally that you can upskill to maintain some tribal knowledge and domain expertise so that it's not, it doesn't become this kind of detached part of the technical organization. So I don't think we made our first external hire until a year and a half in. I, I was, I became notorious for stealing from other people's teams. <laughs> Anytime I spoke to someone, managers would get upset. They were like, I mean, just stay, stay away from my people, you know? So uh, uh, yeah, it took a while before we started bringing in people externally. Right. That's good. I really like that because you're, you're taking those folks that understand the customer so well because they've been interfacing with the customer and then you're incorporating them into what you're doing with machine learning. Hopefully some of that experience is kind of rubbing off on what they're creating for you uh, in ML. Absolutely. Um, sounds like a wonderful approach. What's really critical to understand there is that you're not going to be able to take anyone and upskill them into becoming the world's leading neural network artificial intelligence researcher. But what's critical in this space is the way we think about it is if every gut feel decision at Zappos was made with a simple logistic regression, we would be operationally way more efficient. And that holds true for any company. So you don't need that cutting edge research scientist. You need someone that understands the business and then can identify which components can be replaced with the simplest forms of machine learning, linear regressions, logistic regressions. These are all the backbone of statistical machine learning models. And uh, that's where the upskilling comes in, where the low hanging fruit is galore. And you don't need to get into those moonshot experimentation until a little bit later, until your organization's more mature, your platforms are more robust, your deployment strategies are uh, well established, you know, and that's where the upskilling can really, really offset costs and get you some early wins. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about culture. Is there a specific culture um, that uh, is required for ML uh, adoption at a wide scale? And if so, uh, how do you champion that uh, within an organization? I can provide my views. I don't think that I have the right answer. I don't think anybody does as yet is that, you know, 
A company can choose to become AI first, where everything is needs to use ML and AI. There's companies out there that do that right now, that a product is not considered truly successful unless it uses some form of machine learning. A lot of those companies you'll find are tech companies at their core, right. uh, technology organizations. Zappos is, uh, it's a retailer where a customer service organization first before anything. And a place like that, where it's not technology first, it's it's definitely not AI ML first. So it really becomes restating business problems and customer uh, problems as mathematical ones, and then translating those mathematical solutions back to what they mean for the customer. So using that sizing example, again, is if we came back with, oh, we can build this neural network or this collaborative filter is actually what we started with first to be able to nail a customer's size prediction it's really going to be hard to get buy-in. But if you can talk about it, completely remove the machine learning from the equation, right? A carpenter describes what the furniture they're going to build. They don't describe their drill or their hammer to you. Mm. So I don't know why machine learning scientists have this tendency to describe the algorithm. Uh, and I think as long as you can recognize that, talk about the product, talk about the tensions and the pain points you're going to alleviate and keep your excitement about how cool your new piece of equipment is just to yourself while discussing <laughs> it with the product owner. Uh, we see, we see a higher adoption. So we kind of flip it on its head. It's not about an ML culture. It's more about a customer obsession culture where you realize that if you truly care about the customer experience, let's use the best skill set and toolkit available to us, which then leads teams to come and ask for the machine intelligence org to be a part of their, you know, solution. Hmm. Interesting. So it sounds like then there wasn't that much of a change culture wise, because what you're describing is kind of customer obsession and Zappos has had that you know, for some time. So it doesn't sound like there was much of an adjustment period uh, introducing ML to it. So I think I would say that we there was a period, but instead of trying to change the culture <laughs> or instill an ML culture, what we did is we changed our own internal mindset to talk about it as a, as hey, we're a service provider. We're not trying to take over what you're doing. We're not trying to replace what, we, what you're doing. What we're bringing to the table is an elevated set of tools that can help you achieve your goals faster. We can help you do more. We can help you achieve the same for less. Like do more with less is a core value at Zappos. And we kind of help embody that in other teams by creating extremely democratized services. So there was definitely a cultural shift, but we we did that internally and made sure we grew an organization that was service-oriented to other parts of Zappos rather than going out to every team and being like, hey, you need to know how to use machine learning to continue to exist. And I think that's 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 the difference there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Very similar to kind of what we advise customers do with cloud computing in general. It's there as an enabler to make things uh you know, easier, less expensive, uh, make your organization more agile. It's a tool to utilize. It's not a means in itself, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And our entire, uh, the entire machine learning infrastructure at Zappos, for example, is hosted in the cloud on AWS, leveraging a variety of tools there. Of course. And the way we think about it is just like those services are building blocks that allow us to take the DevOps and take that overhead out of the equation and lets us move faster. The tools that we produce are also building blocks that we then extend out to the business for them to move faster. It's exactly that same mindset right. being propagated forward. Yeah. A force multiplier, essentially. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, given kind of recent events, um, you know, uh, COVID-19, for example, 
How has uh, Zappos had to adjust to that? So it's a difficult time, right? Everyone knows that it's it's a difficult time just for the world in general, followed by then businesses also suffering. Zappos' first priority above all else was ensuring employee safety. So we got right. as many people as we could home and enabled as many job functions, a large majority of job functions to be able to happen from home. So that was the priority. Before starting to shift algorithms, trying to shift strategies, we wanted to make sure employee safety was top of mind. Uh, that being said, it's, it's a new normal that we're trying to exist in and has required us to adjust and be agile with the way we uh, provide machine learning solutions. I think the biggest impact has been on the supply chain front where you know, because sales have been affected and not only negatively, certain areas are doing better than they used to and some areas are doing worse. So making sure we have the right inventory available, I think now more than ever, when everyone's probably going through a lot of hardship, you don't want to not find that item you're looking for or find the perfect pair of sweatpants and it's not available in your size, right? I feel like that right. that disappointment when you're trying to like treat yourself is something Zappos is want to contribute to. So, you know, making sure our supply chain is uh, well-informed with uh, data-driven insights, our forecasts are adjusting to recognize what's going on and uh, moving and making whatever changes are needed to the tuning processes to deploy more accurate forecasts has been kind of a focus. Another interesting aspect is our return rate kind of went down and I, uh, we we got pretty excited because I was like, oh man, more profit. But the reality of it was that people <laughs> didn't want to go to a UPS store to like drop off right. returns. So that became an interesting mathematical problem. Like, so we've got like inventory reserves sitting in our customers' homes now and we've never <laughs> had to think about that at, at, from such a long-term perspective. So we're like, When's it coming back? What conditions are coming back in? And should that be part of our forecast? You know, so it's been interesting mathematical challenges we face because of the, the current global situation. Right. And that use case you were talking about before about using ML to kind of make sure that size and preference is all kind of right the first time becomes even yeah. more important given this environment, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, we get it wrong. The cost of getting it wrong is higher now, I would imagine, because it's, you right. know, it's it's more disappointment. It's harder to send back with cities and, you know, shut down. So and everything we can do to make it a better experience just has that much more meaning in the customer's ex like browse shopping uh, journey on the website. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, and in times like this, of course, you know, when we talk about cloud computing in general, uh, we talk about the benefits of agility and how during any period of volatility or change, agility is going to be your best friend. It's going to be what what really kind of gets you through it and allows you to thrive. How how is implementing machine learning uh, supported your ability to increase your agility within the organization? It was less the implementation of machine learning itself and more the way we implemented machine learning. I think leveraging cloud computing frameworks, leveraging services that we built in-house on the backbones of things like EMR or SageMaker allowed us to kind of have CICD, like continuous deployment frameworks in place for our machine learning models, which is which itself, like just deploying a machine learning model into production is hard. It is it is a often overlooked and trivialized part of that life cycle. When you have the perfect machine learning model, you don't have a machine learning organization. When you can make decisions off of it, 
and actually do inference in production, that's when you have a machine learning organization. So that part of the platform being nimble and allowing us to swap those models out at whatever cadence we need it to has been tremendously valuable because it has always been a changing ecosystem with seasonality and the customer base being in constant flux. The ecosystem is just changing faster now. And, uh, We've been able to adjust a few levers to and 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 change retrain cadences and change how much historical data is fed in, the importance of recent data compared to historical trends. Like these kind of tiny variable uh, and configuration changes have allowed the same models to cater to the cur- current situation. Uh, and I think that's a. Uh, that's testament to, yes, good modeling and good uh, development of the research science team's part, but it's also uh, it's also a testament to the platform itself being able to cater to those needs. Right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So um, I want to ask you about something specific here, uh, semantic search. I uh, understand you guys implemented that, and uh, I'm curious, what's, what's the advantage over traditional search, and uh, how did you implement it? So a semantic search was, it's a fun way of saying search stopped being as dumb as it was. And I hope I, uh, <laughs> uh, it was just, you know, English is a very funny language. So when someone searches for dress shoes, right, it's like, what does dress mean? It definitely doesn't mean a dress, but like a search algorithm doesn't know that, right? It's like now dress means an occasion. So we're like, okay, well, let's fix that. And we did. And now when you search evening dress, shoes show up and you fix that. And then when you search dress shirts, evening dresses show up and you fix that. And then dress shoes start showing you dress shirts again. And it's just because I think what's missing there is when you do a traditional lexical search, as you call it, it's just looking for words inside the way products are described. And you don't understand the context behind what the customer could have been hoping for when they type those two words. There's an essay that could be written about the intent of that customer, especially if it's personalized when they just say dress shoes, right? So, uh, we realized there was value in that. There's millions of unique search terms. There's millions of customers, hundreds of thousands of products. And that's a challenging problem to triangulate across that much information to know what you, Jake, mean when you say running shoes in terms of support and color and material and all of that brand, et cetera. And just what does running shoes mean in general? That implementation took a long time. Uh, and I wouldn't want to even speculate, I think close to a year, but it was like incremental, right? We first provided a phrase context where dress shirt, we knew it was clothing. We then expand that out to where when you select filters, it also extracts meaning and contextual and semantic signals from the filters that are selected. And then we expanded that out to take in the context of who the person is. And we're still continuing to improve that algorithm. Um, Adoption was pretty challenging there. We didn't own the search team and we were trying to really mess with what they did. Uh, That's easier now. We absorb the search team and they love it. If any of them happen to be listening to this, they they love being a part of the machine intelligence organization now. We have a good time. It's it's one of our kind of flagship products. It's a one-to-one personalized search experience now. Zappos customers will actually see unique, tailored to them search results, just that the next customer will see something different. So it's something challenging, something that I think we were uh, pretty early to market with as a retailer. And uh, it was it was very exciting. And we had some we got some cool press around it as well. So that that was an added bonus. Very nice. So, yeah, the interesting part of this is, uh, you know, you didn't have direct control over search within the company. But, you know, it's so was there I'm curious to hear kind of how you approach that, given the fact that, you know, nobody knew in the beginning 
that this was going to be so successful. You know, there were many stakeholders involved. How did you kind of win them over in the beginning? So it was it was hard. That was one of the hardest. And we actually failed a few times initially with experiments that didn't work. So what the, way, the, way, the place we started in actually was autocomplete, where when you search for something, when you search for dress shirts, we told search that, hey, hit this endpoint and we'll tell you that you can add in clothing. And what that does is a customer looks at that and it's like, yeah, what? Like, why would I be looking for dress shirts, not in clothing? But what that told the search algorithm was apply a clothing filter. Don't show dress shoes when someone searches dress shirts. Right. And like just because or don't show evening dresses. So like uh, or the classic short is the name of a product. Right. And it's not a pair of shorts. It's actually a boot. So when someone says classic short, we'd be like classic short in boots. And they're like, yeah, it is a boot. But that would stop a bunch of khaki shorts from showing up. So early wins like that led the search team to ask us that, hey, can we somehow put that into the search algorithm? So that led to like a first pass, a first iteration. What's honestly critical, Jake, is A-B testing, right? When you A-B test something in a clean, sterile A-B testing environment where the control gets not a whiff of it, but the treatment gets your machine learning driven experience and you monitor the results and you can show a tangible improvement, the Zappos culture just isn't one where the search team would care where that win came from. So when the A-B test showed an improved search experience, they were like, it's yours. Tell us what to do. And it started off with an engineering integration where search would hit the machine learning APIs to understand the context before hitting the search index. And that's where we were faced with a monumental engineering challenge, which was you can't afford, I can't be like, hey, do a search, go grab a cup of coffee. We'll have the perfect results when you get back. So we had to do this complex machine learning, this complex understanding of that concept in under 30 or 40 milliseconds. And that's where the platform, again, became critical to being able to execute on this kind of experience. I see. So it sounds like you kind of started uh, small and kind of incrementally showed value to these other folks that maybe you needed to win over instead of trying to put together this whole business case and just show them, right? Yeah, just show them, exactly. Bias for action. Bias for action. So just some general questions here I want to ask. Are there any particular uh, big challenges that you've overcome that you could tell us about? Absolutely. I think uh, with machine learning, the challenges are, there's, there's no shortage of them. One is recruiting, getting the right team together, uh, which we kind of addressed a little bit about how we don't chase unicorns, but we hire people who are good at what they do. Establishing that kind of recruiting mentality was important for me to be able to do upfront. So we weren't chasing after the, the fancy names in the field, but really we were chasing after people who were good at a clear cut portion of the larger system that we were planning on building. Uh, a second piece that I think was critical was buy-in and that turned into an education and translation problem for me and the team was, uh, how do we explain this not as the algorithm? How do we explain this not as an accuracy? How do we explain this not as computational costs of building a model? How do we truly explain every machine learning solution we're proposing as the downstream experience that emerges from it? And creating that kind of communication platform to where even to date when you're, no one talks about the model that they're building. We talk about what is the actionable insight being generated. Uh, I think that was a big challenge. And with that came the funding, with that came the team, with that came the trust required to mess with parts of the website that honestly could tank the business if we messed up search. And we did take search down, I think, two or three times in our journey 
of fixing it. So that that earning that trust was critical and earning that trust early was critical. And lastly, I think the platform, the part that I completely did not anticipate was how complex it would be to once we had the buy-in, once we'd built the models, once we'd identified the problems, deploying these solutions at scale in production was such an unexpectedly large expense. And that was on, you can chalk that up to my lack of experience in Zappos's ability to put trust. And I started off as an intern at Zappos, the analytics intern. So they really trusted me to grow this. And I now run the organization. So that's just testament <laughs> to what, Zapp- what Zappos will allow to happen. But I also had no idea what I was doing. So that kind of caught me off guard. And uh, I think that was a big challenge, just getting the additional investment to get the platform up and running and showing a clear ROI that made it worth it uh, to keep investing in us. Right, right. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was noting this, noticing this on your bio. You you started as an intern, you became a data scientist, lead data scientist, and eventually went on to uh, head the AI, uh, ML and AI research and platforms for Zappos. So um, if you look back at the start of that leadership journey, uh, is there anything you wish someone would have told you? And is there anything you would do differently if you could go back and do it over again? So many things I think I'd do differently, but then again, it's almost like I want to believe that the mistakes I made has have helped me learn how to not make new mistakes again. It's not just about not making the same mistakes. It's also new mistakes in the same vein. So I feel like that education has been tremendously valuable. One thing I think I would encourage any leader in this space to keep in mind and something I wish I had learned early on is machine learning can put you in a position where you want to implement the greatest new paper, the new algorithm, the, the, you know, the fanciest new thing, but like, just don't go chasing waterfalls is kind of the advice that you want to give there. It's like, <laughs> there is a simple solution to a large number of problems that you're facing in the organization. And, you know, the argument you'll get is you can't recruit people to work on simple things. I'm like, that's not the right person then, because then that person cares about the method and not the problem yep. they're solving for. And I think sticking to that in maybe a year in, when we started recruiting externally and only hiring people that were excited about solving the problems, you know, uh, because you'll find machine learning scientists with a hammer and that hammer is in, on their resume and they join you and they bring their hammer with them and then they run around looking for nails and that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's yep. something that you really want to avoid. And I learned that early on. And I think that's helped. We have some really cool cutting edge research projects going on right now. I think our search algorithm is 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 fantastic and very, very much ahead of the curve. But we always started simple. And I think starting simple is what allowed us to realize wins. And starting simple is not a bad thing because your goal is not to build the most complex algorithm. Your goal is to solve a customer problem. And I think that has helped us, continues to help us. And I don't think there's any, there's a more valuable piece of advice, especially in this, this area and this domain. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, absolutely, that's true. Um, just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, sometimes it's much more difficult to create something simple than something complicated. The thing is creating that, right? Creating the simple solution is, is, is hard because it's, it's more like connect the dots, finding the simple solution that solves a big, difficult problem. Don't go after simple problems, go after big problems. There are big problems out there with simple solutions. And that's, right. that's where you start, right? That's what sets you up for long-term success in the space. 
Absolutely. Yeah. As simple as efficient. Yeah. So creating efficient systems is going to be, um, you know, more work typically than inefficient systems. So if you look at designing systems, any kind of system, code, ML, cloud architecture, uh, usually start off with something overly complex as a prototype, and then you simplify it as you go. And that makes it more efficient, more performant, more cost efficient, et cetera. Right. So that's definitely true in my experience as well. This podcast, we have a lot of uh, leaders that listen to this and that's kind of our audience. Um, what, if any advice would you give to uh, another leader who might be kind of starting out in their journey? So I think I'd give, I'd give two pieces of advice here. One to the non-machine learning leader, the stakeholder, right? And uh, I think my advice there is going to be most of your fears and concerns are right about wanting to make sure you secure a return on that machine learning investment that you make. But, you know, trust your AI and ML leader uh, develop a relationship with that person that is rooted in solving problems and then recognize that this is not something you can just do on the cheap. There's going to be early, simple wins that you can get. But at the end of the day, there is a trust equation that needs to be built up because it is an investment. It is a, it is something that you're you're investing in your data with technology and infrastructure to pay you returns indefinitely going forward. So it's important to like not forget that. Uh, To the ML leader, I think back to the original uh, theme that I'm trying to stick to here is that it's not about how complex the solution you build is. It's not about how Uh, cutting edge the algorithm you use is, what's always more impressive is seeing a massive return using a logistic regression is way more impressive than I spent $100 million and saw a return with the best minds in AI and the most complex tools in AI. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's impressive. But like this other thing is scalable, reproducible, and definitely an easier place to start. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was uh, Mark Twain that said, I would have uh, designed a shorter ML algorithm for you, but I ran out of time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Well, Amin, it was a pleasure talking to you today. It was very insightful. Thank you for joining us. Likewise. Thanks for your time. This was a really good time. Good conversation. <laughs>